Good afternoon, everybody, and Falcha Quick Cohale, the Climate Bar Association of Ireland. Um, everybody is very welcome today to our online and in-person seminar on keeping the native Irish honeybee, the beekeepers and lawyers seminar. So to Falcha and down Riv Gachtina on Shah and Yuff. My name is Cleana Kimber. I'm the chair of the Climate Bar Association. I'm a senior counsel at the Bar of Ireland. And I'm going to hand you over now to our chair and MC, uh, Senator Vincent P. Martin, senior counsel, also a senior counsel at the Bar of Ireland and a distinguished senator. And he's going to be our MC uh, for the event. So, Fáil Thank you, Tina. And in the past, when one would be addressing a gathering in this August Hall, uh, the old way would be brothers and sisters, a tradition in the, in the law library. But I'm glad to say, true to the urgings of Tina and others, we've opened this important uh, seminar up to people who aren't just in the law library. Uh, barristers, solicitors, beekeepers, and all interested. So those tuning in live at home, I'd like to say a, a, a big hello. I'd also like to uh, acknowledge the presence in the physical room of Mr. Justice O'Connor, a respected member of the judiciary that we're honored to have amongst us today. And for, want, uh, for that old fashioned term, my fellow brothers and sisters in the law library. Um, why was I asked uh, to chair this? Well, maybe it's because something with the fact that I'm a barrister and a beekeeper, and also currently the privilege of being a legislator. And we are very fortunate in Ireland. It is one of the last strongholds of the black native bee, the Apis mellifera mellifera, which adapts so brilliantly to our island, to our climate, to our flora. But that wonderful bee, which we've had for thousands of years, is under sustained ongoing threat from extinction. The new, the non-native bees are, uh, don't adapt as well to our climate. They're more aggressive, they're more prone to swarming, and they are uh, less frugal than our native bee. Um, I always felt, uh, I had an interest in beekeeping, but it was one day really, I realized I was on the road to no return when I, uh, one of my hives was queenless, which is a bit of a crisis for a beekeeper. So I ended up uh, talking to a friend of a friend. And before I knew it, from my home outside Nace, I ended up in a car park outside a closed shopping mall in Carlo to buy one, mated, marked and clipped queen, where I transacted 30 euro and brought it back to my uh, home in Nace in a matchbox. And I heard it buzzing in the front of the car on the way home. And I said, oh gosh, I've got this bug now at this stage. But the intricacies of it all for the non-beekeepers here, this would be eating and drinking for the beekeepers. That queen would have been new to that hive. And the uh, residents in that hive would have uh, annihilated it very quickly. So you put it in a little candy cage so that you give the population in the hive sufficient time to acquire the scent so the, that new queen is welcomed. And that's at the heart of our concern because last year it was documented 
that there was an increase in queens of a non-native variety, a subspecies, that come into this country in the tune of 327%. Now, this is a biodiversity and ecosystem emergency. So I am so proud of my colleagues in the law library to put on this seminar. I am so proud of them. And I said, what do they really have in common with beekeepers as I was traveling over from Leinster House? And I, two things immediately struck me. One, the sense of volunteerism. The Irish Independent Referral Bar has a super tradition of the pro bono bar. We don't get publicity. We get slagged a lot in the media, but it has worked. And we give a voice to people who may not otherwise afford and have that advice and representation. And that sense of volunteerism is alive and well in the representative bodies of beekeepers. And the second quality or attribute that they have in common is the collegiality. Just like in the law library, once you're told when you arrived in here, I was told a quarter of a century ago, do a bit of research, don't ask a lazy question, but you can approach the most senior um, barrister at the time and ask for his advice. You know, gen the generosity of that expertise and time. And I found that incredibly true amongst the beekeeping community. In my own ho homeland alone, we have Colm O'Neill, Warwick Bowden across the road, and my mentor, Sean Bourne. I think they're all tuned in tonight. And uh, they are, they epitomize everything that's good. But all is not well at the moment. And we can talk about the legislative legislation later. But I, I'd, I'd say this much for now. I was told to hold this, uh, it's in America, you'd say breaking news in 20 seconds. Coming to the breaking news. I'm happy to report to you sitting at this meeting tonight and the hundreds at home that we have managed to get the bill which I introduced in the Shannon at first stage uh, to a second stage reading next Thursday in Shannon Aaron, which is, it's a, it's a sign of real progress where that bill, and we have a capable person here on behalf of Climate Bar Association who's, who's driven the work in that, Mehmet Byrne, that I will introduce you to later. And um, I intend giving her a very, uh, richly deserved introduction when the time comes. But, but right now, I'd like to introduce you to the first of our speakers. Kyle Petrie is the co-founder of a wonderful organization called Open Hive, and they drive sustainability. He is what you might call a professional beekeeper. Mine is a bit of a hobby. I sell the honey in the local store, Swans in the Green, and I get great fun out of that. I, I, I now know what it's like when people have a book in a, on a shop. I can walk up and down the store to see my jar of honey and my professional label, and I get the same kick out of that like if it's a book I wrote. So if you like, I'm an amateur. I only have a preliminary certificate in, in, in beekeeping proficiency. But uh, Kyle is on the serious end of it. He's highly respected. I think he's over 100 colonies, if I'm not mistaken. And I'd now like you to uh, hear from Kyle and give him a very warm welcome. Thank you.
Good afternoon. Thank you very much, uh, Senator, for the, the warm introduction. Um, yes, so my name is Kyle Petrie. Um, I'm co-founder of OpenHive, um, which is a beekeeping uh, business, for want of a better word, but really it's a community um, that we set up that drives uh, sustainability in terms of beekeeping, but has a focus on the conservation of our native Irish honeybee. Um, we do have um, a lot of colonies. We have about 60 production hives. Um, we have some in, in fantastic locations like this one on the roof of the Devlin. We've partnered with um, local businesses, with corporates. Um, Powers Whiskey, for example, have sponsored um, this, this installation. Um, and we use these installations to talk about uh, beekeeping to get the conversation going um, because there is still a lot of work to be done in terms of the awareness around um, not just honeybees, but all, all of the bees, but particularly uh, the native Irish honeybee. Um, I'll just give you an example of some of the work that we do. This is how I started my morning um, as, a, as a professional beekeeper. Um, talking to a group of three-year-olds where my son is in Montessori and I managed to hold their attention for 10 minutes. So that's given me a little bit of confidence that I can do the same with you guys here. Although hopefully uh, the questions won't be as tough at the end. And so there's three of us uh, involved in the company. Uh, there's myself, uh, Mark Early, who's a, a secondary school teacher in Gonzaga and, and Jack McGrath, um, who's a professional rugby player, as some of you might know. Um, so we've started in 2019 with the focus of, 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 of building awareness and building a community. So we train up volunteers every year and we take them on. Um, they might have done a preliminary course um, and we give them the experience um, to, to actually look after their own bees and particularly in the, on the native Irish honeybee. Um, and we're very privileged that the uh, Native Irish Honeybee Society have done so much work um, in promoting and, and building awareness around the need for this conservation. And we're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants um, when it comes to actually beekeeping because they've done uh, so much fantastic work um, before us. I just want to talk to you really quickly about one project that we have running at the moment. Um, and it might highlight uh, the, the problem that we have with some of the non-native species. Um, so these are what we call bee conservation boxes. And we have 100 hosts across South County Dublin and North Wicklow. And these boxes are designed um, with an ideal bee home in mind. Uh, they're 40 to 60 litres um, in volume, which bees themselves can actually measure, which is mind blowing that one little bee can measure that space. Um, in terms of litres and, and volume. Um, we put them at the right height and orientation that the bees want. And we do this for two reasons. One, this time of year is what we call swarm season, um, where bees will naturally split um, and, and go and find a new home. And we often get lots of calls from people who have them in their chimneys um, or have them in the roofs and they're not accessible and the bees unfortunately um, are exterminated because they're you know there might be bees coming down a chimney into into a child's room or something like that and um, so it's an unfortunate end for the bees and um, so we provide these boxes to hosts and the hosts are all volunteers um, and this project is, is one that we're piloting this year um, but of the species of the swarms that we've collected so far 75 percent um, have been non-native um, and that kind of gives us an idea of these non-native species that are replicating out, out in the wild, if you like, in these urban areas. Um, so we're, we're able to actually catch them um, in these boxes. We take them to a quarantine apiary, we get them tested um, to see if there's any disease. And we're actually able to requeen them with a native Irish queen. And um, so we've taken that foreign uh, non-native species out of circulation. Um, and we, of course, do put them to work um, making some honey, um, which we all get a kick from seeing it in the, in the shops. 
um, and that doesn't that doesn't grow old. Um, seeing that uh, that end product and uh, the the bees um, you know work so hard for for throughout the year. Um, so oops, sorry. Um, so that's just a, a, a brief glimpse of, of some of the work that we do. We do have hives, um, you know, across South County Dublin, North Wicklow, um, but it's really been this uh, initiative um, again that, that Powers Whiskey have, have sponsored these boxes, um, and we've been absolutely blown away by the fact that we have a hundred people who are oversubscribed. We have maybe another fifty people on the waiting list for next year to host these boxes. And it's been an amazing way to talk to people about bees, to, to have advocacy, to have a conversation with the native Irish honeybee, and even within community groups to get them involved in thinking about pollinators. Um, so thank you so much for inviting Open Hive here um, and for your time and your attention. Um, thank you. Thank you. We take questions when we, have, when we hear the contribution from all the speakers. We've one more in the room and then two more uh, virtually. So for logistical housekeeping arrangements, I'm going to go to the second one in the room. So in no particular order, I'll be very shortly calling uh, my colleague, Memma Byrne, Barrister at Law. Uh, years ago, we had here uh, the Green Lawyers Group, but we renamed it the Climate Bar Association to put it beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's no party politics whatsoever in it, however ambiguous, however distant that might be. A decision was taken at an AGM that the environment is for everyone. And I know it has always been totally non-party political, but we also wanted to make sure we have the optics and the perception of that, that this Climate Bar Association, under the wonderful stewardship of Kleena Kimber Senior Council, is open to all political persuasions and none. So uh, I, being a beekeeper and going to my vibrant local North Clare Beekeeping Association, although it's been online, I, I rapidly realised that there's an issue about the decline of our native bee and how much it's under threat from the, from the integration and the crossbreeding and the hybridisation. And I said, now I'm in a privileged position as a legislator um, what can I do about this? So I was at a farmer's market uh, quite appropriately and I met uh, Loretta Neary, the secretary of the Native Irish Honeybee Society. And she said, we're trying for over a decade, this volunteer group, and we're getting nowhere. We're going around in circles. Well, I said, I will mention this to the Climate Bar Association. And, they're and they were told it's, it may be repugnant to EU law. Now, I felt I wouldn't represent, uh, I, I, I passed, as Lars would say, the objective and subjective bias test. <laughs> so it's, I wanted to ask, kindly ask, and commission, not just an expert report, but an independent expert report. And Memo was at the heart of writing a legal opinion on this and drafting the bill which became the protection of the Native Irish Honeybee Bill. So now we are armed, and Mem is going to explain what that opinion is, but she has armed us, and me as a legislator, where it's not just me who could be accused of being uh, perceived as a little bit biased, but we now have an independent expert report. Mem has put in huge effort, has done a lot of heavy lifting, along with her co-signatories to that report, which was duly endorsed by your chairperson, Tina Kimbers, in your council. And I'm now going to ask Memma to explain 
the work that you've done, the brilliant work, and the next steps, Mema. You're very welcome, Mema Byrne. Thank you, Vincent. Um, I didn't do that report on my own. Yeah. I did it with Dunica Wolf and Liam Gildra, Sarah Jane O'Brien, and there may have been another one, Dunica, that I'm forgetting uh, now. That was it. Uh, secondly, I'd like to say, after what Vincent has said, I'm very aware it's a Friday afternoon and this is not going to be a heavy lifting report. It'll literally be a few highlights from the current legislation and perhaps what we would like to see uh, introduced. So as many of you will be aware, um, there is a, a tension between restricting imports and European law. And it is the tension between uh, those two things, I suppose that is at the heart of any um, uh, resistance in this area to bring in legislation. So what's currently there? The current regulations governing the importation of honeybees into Ireland seeks to strike a balance between preventing known diseases and pests from coming into the country via bee imports and the freedom of intra-community trade. The current law does not account for the risk of unknown diseases or address the serious concerns around the hybridization of Apis melfra melfra bees in Ireland, which we refer to as the native honeybee or sometimes AMM bees. Importation of bees other than the native bees and the consequential hybridization of our native bees may have a severe impact on the native species and the structure and functioning of ecosystems through the alteration of habitats predation, competition, and or the replacement of the native species, which is particularly well suited to the Irish climate. However, I defer to our scientific friends who will be speaking after me in regards to the science around this. And I will focus essentially on the current legislative regime. Honeybees are treated in the same manner as fully domesticated livestock with free movement of honeybees permitted throughout Europe in much the same manner as cattle or pigs. However, whereas cattle and pigs are controlled in their mating habits through artificial insemination and fencing to control distribution, honeybees mate freely between managed and wild populations, creating a population better described as semi-domesticated. Where introduced, subspecies such as Apis melfra ligustina from Italy or hybrid commercialized strains such as Bookfast or Starline are present, there is potential for genetic admixture that can remove the adaptations of the local population to its environment, resulting in reduced colony longevity which in turn makes it less sustainable. So I think many of you here will be very um, familiar with the fact that uh, total colony collapse uh, has become a serious issue in the beekeeping community. And in some instances, it isn't known why that is occurring. So it, it's important that
that we become aware that we don't always know why things are happening, but just uh, try identify how our local population may be changing over time. So Article 36 of the Treaty of the Functioning of the European Union allows member states to take measures having an effect equivalent to quantitative restrictions, in other words, barriers to trade, when these are justified by general non-economic considerations, expressly including public policy, public security, the protection of health and life of humans, animals, or plants. Measures adopted under this article are exceptions to the general principle that there can be no barriers to trade between member states, and therefore they must be interpreted strictly. They also cannot constitute a means of arbitrary discrimination or be a disguised restriction on trade between member states, and they must have a direct effect on the public interest to be protected, not going beyond the necessary level in order to respect the principle of proportionality. And you'll see that it is ultimately the view that we have concluded that uh, these conditions are in fact met. And when you hear uh, my scientist colleagues speak, you will see that a lot of those um, preconditions, if you like, are very evident. So the current uh, restrictions focus on health and they require uh, somebody importing bees to notify the Department of Agriculture at least 24 hours before a consignment arrives. And that consignment of bees must be accompanied by a health certificate mm -hmm. issued by the country of export to ensure that the imported bees are healthy and do not harbour pathogens or parasites that could harm native bee stocks. So again, many of you would be familiar with the dreaded Varroa uh, virus amongst bees. And it is this type of legislation it, it, it enforced in Ireland through an SI uh, that is focused on ensuring that there isn't a spread of that. But as you'll see, there is no legal provisions protecting the native Irish honeybee and giving it special protected status to ensure that hybridization of the native stock doesn't uh, result in ecosystem destruction and or depletion. The precautionary principle set out in Article 191 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union um, allows for a higher level of environmental protection through preventative decision taking in the case of risk. It can be invoked where there are three preliminary preconditions met. One, identification of potentially adverse effects. Two, evaluation of the scientific data available. And three, the extent of scientific uncertainty. The Habitats Directive ensures the conservation of a wide range of rare, threatened, or endemic animals and plant species. But at present, it doesn't cover bees native to a particular region of Europe. 
EU regulation, and I always hate EU regulations because I think the minute somebody says it, everyone switches off. Uh, but this is what you may you may actually know. Uh, EU regulation 1143-2014 on the prevention and management of the introduction and spread of invasive alien species notes that invasive alien species threaten biodiversity and related ecosystem services, especially in geographically and evolutionary isolated ecosystems, such as small islands. The risks such species pose may intensify due to increased global trade, transport, tourism, and climate change. Recycle three of that regulation notes the threat to biodiversity and related ecosystem services that invasive alien species pose takes different forms, including severe impact on native species and the structure and functioning of ecosystems through the alteration of habitats, predation, competition, the transmission of diseases, the replacement of native species throughout a significant proportion of range and through genetic effects by hybridization. Furthermore, invasive alien species can also have a significant adverse impact on human health and the economy. The regulation also notes that the union as a party to the Convention on Biological Diversity approved by council uh, is bound by Article 8H of that convention to as far as possible and appropriate prevent the introduction of control or eradicate those alien species which threaten ecosystems, habitats, or species. Um, recital 10 of that uh, regulation uh, notes, an invasive alien species list should be established and regularly updated, and such a species should be considered to be of union concern if the damage that it causes in affected member states is so significant that it justifies the adoption of dedicated measures applicable across the union, including in the member states that are not yet affected or even likely to be affected. So by way of example, the impact of the Asian hornet has been considered at European Commission level and in 2016 was added to the list of invasive alien species of union concern. However, this is not the case with honeybees. In general, when they are living in their own habitats, they cause no damage and are beneficial, especially as pollinators. A member state can add to the list of invasive species by suggesting the name of the species to the commission, together with a risk assessment, the form of which is set out in that regulation, as there may be a number of honeybees that threaten the Irish ecosystem, rather than classifying specific bees as invasive alien species, it is submitted that it is preferable to introduce legislation banning the importation of any bee not classified as Apis melfra melfra. This approach is in accordance with the precautionary principle and has the added advantage of ensuring that any ban on the importation of honeybees doesn't go further than necessary to achieve the stated aim. 
So I think I may be coming close to my 10 minutes and as usual, I prepared more than is necessary. So I just want to take you on a whistle stop tour of what other countries have done. And um, I suppose one of the most interesting ones is in 1993, Denmark introduced a, a law banning the importation of any bee to the island of Leso other than the brown bee and allowing for the removal and destruction of swarms of bees regarded as undesirable. Arising out of a prosecution of a beekeeper under that law, a case came before the European Court of Justice in 2001. The court found that the Danish law was a measure having equivalent effect and that this would have been the case where the law covered all of Denmark or just a region in Denmark. The court found that the prohibition had to be justified by a, a valid reason and that such a prohibition should not give rise to arbitrary discrimination, nor could it be aimed at protecting certain occupational interests. The court found, and this is a quote from the judgment, from the point of view of such conservation of biodiversity, it is immaterial whether the object of protection is a separate subspecies, a distinct strain within any given species, or merely a local colony. So long as the populations in question have characteristics distinguishing them from others, and are therefore judged worthy of protection, either to shelter them from a risk of extinction that is more or less imminent, or even in the absence of such risk, an account of a scientific or other interest in preserving the pure population at the location concern. It does, however, have to be determined whether the national legislation was necessary and proportionate in relation to its aim of protection, or whether it would have been possible to achieve the same result by less stringent measures. And the court in that case upheld the Danish legislation as proportionate and necessary. In Slovenia, there has been a ban on the importation and breeding of any other bees other than their native bee, which is the Carnolian bee. And the Carnolian bee has also been given protected status in Slovenia, and there doesn't appear to have been any challenges to that at European level. There have been other uh, smaller restrictions brought in, for example, in, in two very, very small Scottish islands. And again, nothing has arisen out of that. And in a very small, small archipelago in Finland, there was also a, a ban on importing any bees where the island had been declared Varroa free. And uh, that uh, also seems to have been allowed. So I suppose, what is the future? I did think one of my science, scientific friends was going to speak first so that you would have uh, the scientific information before the legal uh, information, but it would be clear from the scientific information that's av available that there is a serious risk to the Irish native honeybee at present. And therefore that there is a legitimate need for the law to be amended. And there are, as outlined, several avenues that the government could uh, use uh, if it wanted, including banning the import of any non-native species, non-AMMBs, and or suggesting that non-AMMBs would be considered an alien invasive species in this region of the Union. 
So I'd like to thank you for your time. I hope that was informative and not too EU law heavy. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Memma, for that excellent outline, and there'll be questions later. And Memma was, of course, joined in her work. I uh, hope, uh, and thank you for demystifying it. In, 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 so the non-lawyers, hopefully, uh, can get a grasp of that. And people sometimes have an information shutdown when you hear of the EU uh, regulations. But one of your team uh, behind the great work you did was Donica Wolf, who's just fresh from uh, the Supreme Court, uh, awaiting a reserve judgment on a matter which goes to the very heart of Europe. And you also had uh, Sally Jane O'Brien and Liam Kiltrasso, and they were fantastic for the Climate Bar to take this so seriously, to give us such experienced uh, practitioners who are respected in their fields. And But that's one side of the coin is uh, the law. Uh, there's an old phrase uh, we joke in, in law, uh, in probate law, well, not in probate law, a probate joke is where there's a will, there's a relative. <laughs> well, I, I've often said that apart from um, really strict legal arguments or statutory interpretation, generally in law, where there's a win, there is evidence. So it's no good having all the law in the world unless you have the corresponding, supporting, compelling evidence to suggest and justify the route we're taking. And the next two speakers, I, I believe we're taking them together. And this is the first time we're doing, uh, we're going a bit, uh, we're going to test our, our computer logistical wherewithal skills, but I'm sure this will be fine. I'm now going to call upon, from the virtual world, Professor Grace McCormick, Galway, who has joined me on delegations to the Department of Agriculture, very generous with her time, has done a lot of studies. And also Aoife Nagilakuda, who comes from the, one of the greatest respected uh, honey beekeeping families in Ireland and uh, their family and their work and their contribution is a, is a national treasure to us all. So, and I also see in the real room here, we have John Thorpe. You're welcome, John, uh, PRO for the National, uh, the, the Native Irish Honey Bee Society, and many of your colleagues on the executive and ordinary members have joined us to tune in tonight. But if you want to go live, they are live, I just might be able to see in the screen. I'm now going to call on, we might kickstart with perhaps Professor Grace McCormick from NUI Galway. Grace. Okay, hi everybody. Thanks for the invitation to present today. So I'm going to talk about uh, some of the scientific research that we have produced uh, to support the work of the Native Irish Honeybee Society. Um, and I have about 11 slides, so I'm going to talk fast, but hopefully I'm going to talk clearly. Um, so just to introduce the situation, um, we have one species of honeybee, which is Apis mellifera. Um, but since the last ice age, about 13, 14,000 years ago, when the ice age, when the ice melted, that species started to expand its range. And as it expanded, it came across lots of different geology and um, lots of different environmental uh, situations throughout Europe as it expanded. And as it did so, because the honeybee has such a tight association with its environment, the environment is, has got a crucial role to play in the biology of the honeybee, the species evolved into different what we call geographical races or subspecies. And at the moment, depending on the uh, 
depending at the time and, and the, the publication, there's about 28 different subspecies or geographical races of Apis mellifera. And so this slide shows, um, I'm going to get my laser pointer, sorry. Um, so what this slide's showing here is that um, we have major lineages of these, of these subspecies of bee. And this one here in Northern Europe is the home of the native Irish honeybee or um, the brown bee, the Northern brown bee, Apis mellifera mellifera. And this is a sister subspecies here called Labiriensis, which is in Portugal and Spain. But those two together form this M lineage, whereas the, the subspecies that Mehmet talked about a while ago, the Carnolian bee, Apis mellifera carnica and the Ligustica bee, the Italian bee, are in the C lineage. So C lineage bees, when they're found in Ireland, are imported bees and M lineage bees, the black bees, are native to Britain and Ireland and Northern Europe. So the story is, though, that in the last hundred years, there has been a massive decline in the, the distribution range of Apis mellifera mellifera. So this subspecies actually was the subspecies that had the largest distribution range of any of the other subspecies. And it's often talked about as being the pioneering subspecies. It's tough, it's hardy. It has gone out there to explore and, and um, colonize um, different areas. Um, and so this on the left A is, is the distributional range um, about 100 years ago. And then Gabrielle Salon, in her PhD thesis, she produced this map, which shows the dramatic decline in this subspecies across Europe. And this is um, due to two main reasons. And actually on my screen, they're blocked. The pictures are blocked by pictures. But um, on the left hand side, you have the introduction of pests and, pa and pathogens, which Mama also talked about. And here you have the dreaded Varroa mite. Um, which causes damage itself, but it also um, transmits a cocktail of a number of different viruses to, to the bees. And you can see the impact of one of those viruses on the top is called deformed wing virus. That virus is actually endemic or it's present widely in bees and doesn't cause much damage, except when it's spread through Varroa, it has a massive um, effect on the bees. And these um, contribute, they thought the Varroa virus and its impact general impact is one of the main causes of colony collapse disorder, which was also mentioned. Um, on the right hand side, hopefully you see two pictures of bees. Um, one of them, um, a picture of, of a bee with an orange band on it. And this um, is just to illustrate the problem due to hybridization. So across a lot of Northern Europe um, from the 1920s on, they started importing non-native subspecies uh, for various reasons and completely really replaced um, native subspecies like in Germany and Germany are now desperately trying to bring back their native subspecies. So when I came, became involved with NIBS around 19, uh, 2013, all my reading and the assumptions based for between beekeepers, members of the public, scientists, conservation biologists, legislators, government agencies was that Apis mellifera was essentially extinct extinct and therefore there wasn't really um there was quite a lot of skepticism regarding the presence of that bee still in ireland and also the assumption was that wild versions of this bee were extinct there was a, a a study a small study in 2005 using genotyping methods that included some bees from the galti honey farm Michal mcgillicudder who pioneered this conservation drive for apis mellifera mellifera and some of his colleagues down there and that study by Jensen et al, which was a, a Danish group, uh, found that uh, Apis mellifera mellifera was present, that um, the Galti honey farm and colleagues had Apis mellifera mellifera. 
So NIBS um, have been discussing the protection of Apis mellifera for years and um, before I ever got involved. And the main question since I was in the room was, can we get legal protection for the black bee in Ireland? And the answer back in 2013 was, there's no proof that Apis mellifera exists, so to bring us proof. In 2018, we published a paper with, with collaborators uh, that applied um, a couple of different methods, genotyping methods, um, on 500 honeybee colonies across the country. And this showed in unequivocally, really clearly, that the majority of the bees that we sampled, 97% of the colonies that we sampled at that time were could be assigned to the M lineage with a very, very high probability. So this indicated that there was a very widespread, healthy population of pure Apis mellifera mellifera in this country. So finally, NIBS had actual proof that this existed. So they went back to DAFM and asked, here's the proof you were asking for, here is the data, can we now get legal proof for, um, can we now get legal protection for our bees in Ireland? And the answer from DAFM was, well, that's not sufficient because our study, they said, was biased towards the NIBS beekeepers. Um, and that we needed more proof. In actual fact, a good few of those colonies uh, were from native Irish beekeepers because at the point, the point of that paper was to prove that nibs had black bees and we proved that, but it also included quite a number of wild colonies. So we did a lot more work since then and focused on wild colonies. So we have been chasing uh, wild colonies since 2015. Um, and we published this in 2020 and there's a couple of other papers but this showed very clearly we hadn't any funding actually because I did apply for funding for DAFM to um, study wild bees and they told me they don't exist so we're not giving you money to study them so we did this with no money my PhD student and I so we followed 76 colonies for a period of three or four years and we're still monitoring them we genotyped them using multiple approaches three different genotyping approaches and we found that bees are living in quite a lot of, of um, different environments. Because of the lack of trees really in Ireland, especially compared to the UK, bees have adapted to living in cavities and walls and old buildings and roofs. So, so this is where they're found. But the amazing thing, of this was some work my fourth years did last year. We, we added to the data that we're finding and it really supports, um, oh sorry, this work, what is showing here on the right hand side, this very busy graph in blue, red and green is a bar chart and the numbers on the bottom refer to different populations of honeybee. So eight is the Irish managed population and nine is our wild population. Populations one, two and three in blue represent the sea lineage bees, i.e. Carnica and Ligustica bees. So when you've got a line and that graph um, that's entirely blue, say here in one, the y-axis here is the probability that each bee in that falls within that population. So probability of one is like a 100% chance that that, pop, that bee falls within Apis uh, mellifera carnica. Where you get kind of like here you've got largely red and a little bit of blue, it means here that there's actually only a 20%, a probability of 0.2 that that bee is a carnica bee and actually that that bee is mostly red, which is mellifera. So from three, from four onwards here are the M lineage bees. And so these each show the probability of all of those bees falling within that lineage. What we see in Ireland is that we, most of those bees, like 97% of the bees have a 
really high probability of, of being the M lineage. But the second thing is, is you're seeing here in green a new cluster of bees that are emerging that are really only present in Ireland. So we have two clusters of M lineage bees clustering in Ireland. Um, and some of these have, have links with European bees, as you would expect, because um, Irish bees evolved from, came from Europe. But what we see here, what I'm hypothesizing here in green, is that we're seeing our native Irish bees. So these are the bees that have been isolated in Ireland since the last ice age. This data was done from microsatellite analysis, which is like DNA fingerprinting approach, which say forensic science used to link um, individuals with crime scenes, for example. The data though that I'm presenting here links back to what Kyle had said, and this is um, from the data that we collected last year with our fourth year students. Um, this graph here with all of the letters is the DNA basis, and the ones on the top where there's kind of lots of bases here in the middle are Apis mellifera mellifera. And the ones on the bottom with all of these gaps are bees that we collected last year from the wild. And these are showing a much higher proportion of non-M bees. So these on the bottom are actually Carnica bees, sea lineage bees, and the one here um, in the middle is actually a Buckfast bee. So what we're seeing, like what Kyla said actually, and Kyla's is even more shocking, is that about a third of the bees we collected over here in the west from wild colonies um, unlike the previous study were non-native bees. So this is really showing an increase in the levels of hybridization and the impact of hybridization uh, changes depending, like this might reflect the 300 and something percent uh, increase in imports that Vincent talked about, but also it, uh, the levels of hybridization are patchy throughout the country and in the east coast of the country there will be much higher levels of hybridization than in some parts of the west. Um, this just shows you is um, the reason for why we have such a healthy population of AMM is that most beekeepers actually have keep Apis mellifera mellifera. Over 90% of beekeepers uh, surveyed here have Apis mellifera mellifera and the reasons they have them are for conservation of the native Irish bee but also that the bees are the ones that are present in their environment and they're also the ones that are the best bees for their local environment. And so what I think was beautiful about this drive to ban imports is that most beekeepers are in support of this for the reasons of disease and for hybridization. Um, so we've got very good solidarity that this is something that should be done. So in conclusion, Abus mellifera mellifera is very common in Ireland in its pure form. There's evidence for a cluster that are more closely related to themselves than they are to European bees. And this hints at, a, at an Irish population um, that have evolved within Ireland in isolation from Europe. We have wild colonies of Apis mellifera mellifera that are surviving multiple years in multiple types of locations despite the presence of Varroa. Therefore, we have this unique genetic resource of honeybees that are adapted to Ireland. They perform well in Ireland and are developing tolerance to Varroa. So this is one of the holy grails of the beekeeping world actually, is to find bees and breed bees that we don't have to chemically treat for Varroa. So we're seeing colonies of bees living in the wild for multiple years that don't need any beekeeper assistance, this means that they're developing resistance to Varroa. So these bees have to be worthy of your intention, they have to be worthy of conservation action. And this last slide is just to show how the passion of beekeepers from the Native Irish um, bee Honeybee Society, along with their drive to get scientific evidence for, for their passion, 
But, but those combined with the legal uh, experience of the Climate Bar Association and the political drive of Vincent Martin can do wonders and that has started by the introduction of this Protection of the Native Irish Honeybee Act or Bill, sorry it's not an act yet. Um, so thank you very much. That's me done for now. Professor, and uh, the bill, you might see it on your screen, the front page of it. Yeah. But if you go to the back page of it, um, it's, I'm thrilled to say it enjoys cross-party support in the upper house, from David Norris representing the independent grouping to every uh, political grouping, technical groupings. There's a signatory on it from each of the groupings because it's all about bringing people with us. Um, so, but uh, thank you, Professor. I'm now going to call upon your colleague, your friend and mine, Aoife Nagilakudder. Hello, hello, everybody. Um, I'm delighted to be here to this evening. Sorry, I'm just going to share my PowerPoint presentation here now. Now, okay. So um, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Um, and I'm sorry that I can't be um, there physically this evening. I'm just so busy with the bees at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm almost up, literally up to my eyes in bees. So I, I just can't leave the honey farm at the moment. But um, yeah, my name is Aoife Nicola Cudda. I'm chairperson of the Native Irish Honey Bee Society currently. And I'm also co-founder of the Native Irish Honey Bee Society. So just a, a bit of a background, um, just to myself first, um, I own and run Galtie Honey Farm. Um, this is my father, Michal, here on the left. We're both third and fourth generation beekeepers. Um, and he established Galtie Honey Farm in 1970. And we put an emphasis on honey production and native honey bee conservation. And we have 170 colonies of native Irish black honeybees. And really it's, it's like a symbiotic relationship because the native Irish black honeybees rely on us in our region to conserve, for us to conserve them and help them. But we also rely on them for, because you know this, this is our living. So we're one of the third longest um, running honey farms in Ireland. So uh, just a bit of a background to Ireland's conservation movement of the native Irish honeybee. It really began in the late 1980s. You know, there was already a large community of beekeepers here in Ireland committed to the, to the black bees. That's what we call them, uh, the native Irish honeybee. We call them the black bees. Um, and the, the majority of beekeepers in Ireland had black bees and still do. Um, many would have considered them part of their Irish heritage. You know, people don't realize, but Ireland does have a strong beekeeping heritage. You know, uh, it's not it's not very common now, unfortunately, but it was very much a part of, of Irish heritage at one time. Um, you know, and the, the native black honeybee has many advantages. At that time, up until the late 1980s, there was very little breeding of the native black honeybee went on either. Um, you know, we, we had an awful lot more honeybees in Ireland than we do now. This was before the Varroa mite, that, that pest that, that came into Ireland um, through importations, which decimated populations back in the, the kind of, you know, the late 90s, really. Um, at this point in time, some regions in Ireland had an increase in importations of other subspecies of honeybees, leading to hybridization, resulting in a loss of the native traits, and often resulting in aggressive, unpredictable honeybees in that next generation. 
So with this in mind, uh, GALTP Breeding Group was formed in 1991. So it was, it was formed by my father, Michal, in this region and another local beekeeper here, Redmond Williams. And they got on board all the, the, the beekeepers within the GALTV Valley, and they all pledged to keep only native black honeybees. So it became Ireland's first voluntary conservation area or VCA. And, you know, it's an ideal region because it has semi, you know, a semi isolated geographically because of the two mountain ranges you have here. Um, the images on top are the Knockmill Down Mountains and on the bottom are the Galti Mountains. So it's the Galti V Valley is between those two mountain ranges. And either end of the valley, then you have buffer zones to keep out non-native um, honeybees. Um, so beekeepers from all over Ireland joined um, uh, Galti Bee Breeding Group. And um, as a result of, result of this, various bee improvement groups were formed all around Ireland. All the beekeepers in all those different regions cooperating to keep just Apis mellifera mellifera. Um, and they were helped and supported by their own local beekeeping associations. So GBBG grew larger and larger and gained membership from across Ireland. Um, so uh, eventually it was decided, you know, it was felt that an organisation needed to be established to represent all of Ireland, both north and south. And this is when the Native Irish Honeybee Society was formed in 2012. And, um, you know, it, it, has, it has done so much in the last 10 years, really. You know, I mean, I couldn't even tell you everything that we've achieved. Uh, but just a, a few things, one of them that had one very strong aspect that has come out of the Native Irish Honeybee Society are the voluntary conservation areas. So these are a key tool in the protection of populations around Ireland. So, you know, um, where, you know, in these VCAs, the majority of beekeepers work together to maintain Apis mellifera mellifera. Unfortunately, we have been unable to obtain legal status for any of these VCAs yet. And um, this is a map now, I'm sorry, no, but this map is about six months out of date. There are a lot more voluntary conservation areas on the island of Ireland um, in the last six months. And that's because we've had a wonderful conservation area officer that has come on board within NIBS, John Greenaway, and he's been extremely encouraging to um, beekeepers in many um, counties in establishing their own VCAs. So you can see um, where, where those some of those existing VCAs are now. So the areas that aren't filled in, it doesn't mean that they're not strong, um, you know, uh, native honeybee areas. You know, the, like, as I said already, the majority of beekeepers in Ireland keep Apis mellifera mellifera. It's just that they haven't formally established a VCA. So there, there are several, there are a lot of threats to the native Irish honeybee, honeybees at this point in time. Um, one of them is, is misunderstanding. So um, Ireland has 99 species of bees um, and they're made up of bumblebees, solitary bees and one honeybee. Um, you know, making our environment pollinator friendly is essential. And that's the, the most important thing you can do for any bee or any pollinator at this point in time in Ireland. However, you know, there are many members of the public that think, you know, this, you know, this term save the bees, that it means actually buying a hive of bees, a hive of honeybees in order to help save the bees. However, this can actually do the opposite. Um, you know, this accelerates the demand for honeybees, 
And if the wrong bees are bought, bought, this can actually do more harm than good. You're not saving the native honeybees at all. If you buy a hive of Buckfest bees or a hive of, um, you know, Southern European honeybees, um, it increases the importation of non-native honeybees because those importations are meeting that demand for, for honeybees. And, and this, you know, often it's just a lack of knowledge. You know, people don't realize they're doing the wrong thing by, you know, buying a hive of, let's say, Buckfast bees or, or Italian bees. And um, also just it's, it's important to um, to note that beekeeping is not an action point in the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. So um, the best way to help the bees and the pollinators in Ireland is to, to make your environment more pollinator friendly. Uh, importation. So imports of queen bees increased by 89% in 2018 compared to 2019. They remained constant for 2019 and they increased by 327% in 2020, as Vincent mentioned there earlier on. Um, so, you know, nibs and many beekeepers would consider um, you know, imported honeybees as invasive alien subspecies. And the native honeybee could face extinction through hybridization with these non-native honeybees. So I just want to go through a few of the characteristics of the native Irish honeybee before I finish up. So, um, you know, it is, it's a really um, attractive bee to, to a lot of beekeepers in Ireland because specifically, not because, not just because we want to conserve it because it's under threat, but because of its traits, its positive traits. So temperament, so this can vary uh, very much depending on which, you know, the, the different colonies of native honeybees. And, and this reflects the, the range of genetic diversity that is there within the subspecies. You know, we, there's massive genetic diversity. Um, so we have we have very docile strains, but you can always you can come across aggressive strains as well. But those you know that aggression can be limited eliminated very easily by beekeepers through bee improvement. So we just have in um, these images here. You can see we have some very docile native Irish black honeybees here. The image on the right is um, a world record attempt that we carried out back in two thousand and five. So that was Galtee Bee Breeding Group carried that out. And the brave man underneath the, all those bees is the late Philip McCabe. So he, he was very brave on the day. We didn't break the world record, but we did a great, um, we did a great, um, we had a good stab at it. Um, and then we have on the left, on the left, we have uh, um, uh, another, Adotar, Singa, who um, saw the images of Philip and wanted to do the same thing himself. So we, we covered him, we, he came over from Holland and we, we covered him with bees. So I just want to show people that I often don't wear a bee suit while I'm, while I'm working with the bees, because I want to show people that, you know, they are docile, they can be, they can be docile. Um, pattern and pollen, um, you know, are really important as well. So native Irish black honeybees, they surround plus pollen, they store in frames towards the front of the brood nest. They're excellent pollen collectors and you can see all the hairs on their body. They're the very hairy bodies and this is great for catching pollen grains and they bring it home then on their their hind legs there in their pollen baskets um and you know that those hairs are really important as 
well for um, you know flying at lower temperatures for maintaining their their um, their body temperature. This is just an example of pollen here in this area, a variety of plants. So if you have multicolored pollen in your hive, that's that's a great reflection of the biodiversity within the region. You have the dark blue there, the dark greeny blue is our white clover, and you have the little little hints of yellow which are from hawthorn. And we have a tiny little bit of gorse um, pollen there in the top left, which is orangey coloured. So this photograph was taken last year. Um, surplus honey storage is really important. And um, the native Irish honeybees, they have the ability to um, produce a surplus of honey in the bad Irish summer weather. So, you know, in the Irish summers, you could get a week of sunshine and then you might get two weeks of rain. So it's really important that our bees are able to, um, to hold on to what they have collected in that, in that good fine week. It's only in the sunshine that they'll collect the nectar. And that during the two weeks of rain, that they don't eat up everything they've collected during that week. And, um, you know, they're really good at conserving their, their honey and their stores. And this is due to their, their thriftiness their, and their modest populations. And they can also fly at relatively low temperatures, which helps with collecting um, nectar if the temperatures are low. Wax comb building. They're excellent comb buildings comb builders. So in this image here, you can see there's a big empty space in the honeycomb and they're hanging down in a, in a kind of a cluster uh, forming chains to build honeycomb straight away. And this is another example of the honeybees building honeycomb here. You can see the parts where they've built already and they're hanging in little chains there to, to form more honeycomb. And this, this is a good example as well. Um, this is a swarm of, of bees and, you know, they landed in this spot here and within two days they had all these sheets of honeycomb um, produced, which, which is very quick. Propolis collection. So propolis is a, a resin that the bees collect from trees and they, um, they bring it back to their hive and it's their natural antiseptic. So any little gaps or um, little, um, you know, areas which might harbor germs, they seal up and cover with propolis. It's, it's really important to the health of the honeybee colony and native Irish honeybees are excellent propolis propolis collectors. So um, yeah, the, the, we're so um, thrilled to have the protection of the native Irish honeybee bill introduced to the Shannon. And, you know, we're really grateful to Senator Vincent P. Martin of the Green Party, Mama Byrne here from the Climate Barcel, you know, in, in drafting this. And to wrap up there, Gormila Mahagwif. I hope you enjoyed the presentation and you can you can get more information about the Native Irish Honeybee Society on nihbs.org or on our social media on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Aoife, for that excellent presentation. A beekeeper on the front line. And um, like I said earlier, you must come armed with the experts. And it is another phrase the lawyers will know this one, but maybe the non-lawyers tuned in will also know this one. A person who represents himself or advises himself has a fool for a client. So I have, I have uh, delegated this responsibility to in independent experts. Although, to use another term, legal term, I absolutely fully concur with their findings. So uh, a couple of questions have come in. One from Emma Byrne from uh, Roderick Wheatley. Memma, 
isn't a possible solution to declare AMM a wild animal in its natural territory rather than a domestic animal? Question mark. I, Buckfast has no natural territory. The Langostina bee is, is confined to the Italian peninsula, et cetera, et cetera. Memo. I don't think the issue is the classification of bees uh, per se. So if it was a wild animal, it would still have to be singled out uh, for protection under the Wildlife Act. Uh, not all wild animals are listed uh, for protection, uh, only ones that are considered under threat. So I think the issue is more that it hasn't fully come to legislators' attention, the threat that our native bee is under. So there's plenty of ways, there's 10 ways to skin a cat. We don't really mind which way it occurs. We would like to see the native Irish honeybee protected. Thank you, Memma. Now for one of our experts joining us online from Plan B, uh, just a quick question. Requeening a hive of invasive bees such as the Italian bee does not help fully. Or do you need to deal with the drone bees that spread their gene through mating in the area? Or how do you deal with the drone bees? For the not for the large one who mightn't be beekeepers, the drone is uh, the, the mating bees that go out to mate the queens. So that's the question. Um, maybe either Aoife or... Uh, Professor McCormick, um, do you have to exterminate all drones or is it just enough to stop queens coming in at the border and in due course that would fade out the threat to the native species? I, I would say you should uh, get rid of drone brood. So I, when, when I requeen, I would get rid of drone brood and hopefully requeen early enough. Yeah, I, I would stop drones leaving the hive um, and, 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 um, and break down a drone brood because the drones are carrying sperm of of the um of that non-native bee and is going to mate with with native queens and and we've i've had that i've had some really nice black queens and this is a real problem for people who are really trying to keep maintain black colonies in places where people bring in non-native uh colonies is the drones will go and mate with the with the native queens and so you get a mixture of of uh offspring Thank you. Uh, and any questions from the floor, the real floor? Uh, occasionally in the Zoom world, I can forget about the human beings before me here this evening. But just when you're, when you're thinking of a question from the floor, there's another question come in here, how appropriate. Is it being recorded? But it's obviously a beekeeper because I'm out catching a swan. <laughs> so, so I believe the answer is yes, it is being recorded. It is, it is uh, Vincent. Uh, thanks to the technical people here, um, Aoife Canarney and uh, Trace Barry and others. Uh, it is being recorded and we'll put it up on our website, which would be the climatebar.ie. So thank you for that. So any, any questions from the floor? And if you might mention your, give your name as well and who the question is directed to. Well, I don't know who it's directed to. I'm Roland Murphy, and I've kept bees for in my teens and for the last 20 or 30 years as well. Um, just the identification, short of genetic identification, uh, which isn't available to most of us at a practical day-by-day -day level. I've purchased a number of queens over the years, and I've purchased them uh, 
from people supplying black bees and as black bees. But I, just looking at the pollen pattern that Aoife, uh, I think, showed us a few minutes ago, none of my bees conform to that pattern of putting the pollen in the middle of the brood nest. They all build the pollen in the way you see in the books around the brood nest. So I'm now not sure what I have. So um, it seems to me it might be interesting if you could give a bit more detail on the non-genetic, just the practical identification of what one has. Very good. And uh, maybe that single question, if we have time, maybe from our from our uh, panelists. Sure, I'm sure this uh, even the scientific would be would be better. But uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, it's very difficult without the sort of genetic analysis. Obviously, there there are some key tellers, such as the. Uh, one of the photos uh, that was shown earlier of a banded bee—that's um, you know very obvious. But um, the 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 characteristics of even the the hairs and the, there are a number of different ways, and even the measurement of the wings can give some indication. But again, you need a microscope. For for most beekeepers, it's seeing that banded um, and the, and the behaviour traits as well. Um, but there might be some. I might, I might call on uh, Eva on the front line. Uh, some yeah, beekeepers yeah. must so, might unwittingly inadvertently yeah. have in their very own hive the non-native bees, and if you look yeah. with a magnifying glass, you might see the stripes. What's your advice okay. for the telltale so, signals? Yeah. Okay, I'll just, I'll just go back to that question first, just that gentleman was asking about the brood pattern. My colleague. Yeah. yeah, okay. So um, the brood pattern. So it so the photograph I showed was was kind of like, a, a, you know, a, like a native Irish honeybee, uh, but not all native Irish honeybees will, will provide you with that particular brood pattern with the, you know, the, the, the oval with the pollen surrounding the oval, you know, there's, I, I suppose native Irish honeybees, they have such, they, they do actually have a wide genetic range really. And they're not all going to be exactly like that. They're not all going to be exactly the same. So just because, your native honeybees or your honeybees don't conform to that particular pattern with the pollen surrounding the the brood neatly like that it doesn't mean they're not native honeybees um also like you know it's really important to remember you know the the pollen stored at the front of the brood nest which is a more common trait probably with native honeybees as well um and you know it, but it doesn't mean you don't have native honeybees if if they don't visually show that pattern. Thank you. And uh, a question has come in. Uh, I did say at the outset that environmentalism and this challenge and all the other challenges as the planet burns and as biodiversity is under threat knows no uh, party political uh, distinction. The colours of party politics is so irrelevant. But so are borders. And with that in mind, a question come in, geographical borders, a question come in here from Kira Robbins. How will the bill, the proposed bill, protect against importation of alien bees through Northern Ireland? Well, the question is, I'm going to have to throw out uh, my, uh, reach out beyond my two Green Party colleagues who are MLAs in the Northern Ireland Assembly who had promised me they'd introduce something similar in the Northern Ireland jurisdiction, but we'll have to talk to um, people. It might be Mr. Poots or someone like that. I don't think so. But I hope the Lions or SCLP or just lots of people. I, I, I hope even Mr. Poots 
uh, has a, they all, I think, are on the right page here. It's just different emphasis. And I will be advising whoever it is to bring all the parties with them. It can't be a, a half. You must bring every mixture. It won't happen because it's given it a great oomph in the Shannon that I have all the parties on side. So that was one question to come in. Um, Roger's asked, Roger asked another one here. Here in Normandy, we distribute virgin black queens at low cost so that whatever the quality of their mating, they will produce black males. Aoife, or, or anyone want to take that one? Sure, yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you. I might be Mr. frozen Pink. there. Um, so yeah, the, <clears throat> the genetics of, of the way uh, honeybees work is that uh, drones don't have a father, but they have a gran grandfather. Uh, if you can get your head around that, um, and that they're unfertilized eggs. So if you have a pure native honeybee, that, uh, that queen will produce uh, male uh, native AMMs. Um, so they're unfertilized eggs. So that 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 does work, um, and that that can be a, a way to to what we call drone flooding, um, which is putting drone native AMMs into an area, um, and you can put lots of drones in there, um, and they can potentially outcompete uh, the foreign species that are around. So yeah, that's a really thank good you, Kyle, Mitri, our panelist, and I love it to hear your team up with Jack McGrath, who gives some sport connection to your work as your co-founder. <laughs> Uh, the legendary Jack McGrath. There was another question from the floor. So, yes, you give your name, please, and just who your question is directed to. Uh, my name is Karen Kilrain, and it's for Aoife. Yeah. Um, what Aoife said is that the public, is, instead of buying beehives, should create improved the pollination environment. And how do you, what would you suggest? What, how would you recommend people do for that? Uh, oh, she's back. Aoife, did you hear that? If Aoife's picture is frozen, I might ask Professor Grace Sorry, to answer. Yeah, I, I cut off. I didn't know. No, I, I lost. I lost um, contact for a minute. There's lots of advice on the um, the All Ireland Pollinator Plan is run out of the National Biodiversity Data Centre, and they have a lot of um, guides for farmers, people with gardens, schools, local local communities um, to improve the life for pollinators and the, the main things are now would be um, shelter for pollinators. So creating places for them to nest. Second one would be food. And what's the third one, Aoife? Shelter, food. And biodiversity, plants. Yeah. yeah, so so planting planting uh, pollinator friendly plants and there's lists of them on the National Biodiversity Data Center easily to Google as well and um, try to have plants all across the year. Um, but like, yeah, just looking at, at kind of nesting requirements for bumbles and um, solitary bees in particular. So little places on rock walls, little um, piles of, of particular sand or, or mud, sandy banks. Um, to create places for them to to uh, build a nest. So so there's lots of advice on that. Um, I actually I, yeah. I just missed the question there. What what was it? The the question was for Miss Kilraine is that it was said by one of the contributors that you're not necessarily protecting the native Irish honeybee by going out and buying a nuke and launching into a hive. There are yes. other ways of doing it to have uh, yeah. uh, positively pollination. So what's your response to that? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is the thing, you know, especially so you have a lot of people uh, that start out beekeeping in Ireland and they started out the right way. They they join their local association and they they get informed and they, they learn about the native honeybee and they learn the importance. But you do have a certain amount of people that just get a hive of bees, know nothing about bees and don't just want them for the garden. They think they're doing really a good thing at all because if they're buying a hive of Buckfast bees off the internet or just, you know, um, a hive of um, Italian honeybees, um, Carniolan honeybees, this is going to do untold damage to our native Irish honeybees. So very good. Keeping, like, you know, getting hive of bees is not always the right thing to do. And there are other questions. We'll try to answer them later, but I'm shortly going to call upon Akina Kimber, the chairperson of the Climate Bar Association, to close this event. Before I do that, I'd like to thank her. On a positive, if you remember at the outset, I drew parallels of similarity between barristers and beekeepers. There's another one I forgot, and it reminded me where we are tonight for the non-lawyers. We're in the famous Gaffney Room. It's a beautiful uh, seminar room, and it's in the name of the late Morris Gaffney Senior Counsel, who practised actively as a barrister till his near 100th birthday. So that's another thing we've in common as self-employed practitioners, barristers and as beekeepers. As long as you have your good health, you can keep at it. No one's going to put you off the pitch like an RT newsreader when you reach a certain age. So stay healthy, whatever you do, and mind yourselves. Finally, one announcement before I hand over to Kleena. Uh, the Native Irish Honeybee Society said they'd welcome your presence outside the gates of Leinster House approximately at 12.30 uh, next Thursday. The, the second stage of the bill is being read at two o'clock. Uh, that would be in a rock television. It's a small chamber. I'll just I'll be able to get some people in, but not all into the gallery, the visitor gallery. Um, but also then some of the experts here will be briefing the legislators at 10.15 that morning, which happens on the day of a second read of a bill in our AV room in Leinster House, where you can take questions. And I think in taking people with us and reassuring them that I think it's 93% of beekeepers north and south of this island are in favour of this, as are our friends, our neighbours in, uh, in Great Britain. So, um, uh, Tina Kimber... Thank you very much for having us. It's a lovely synergy. And I'm leaving, I'm handing over you now to formally close the proceedings. Okay, well, Carmel Banker Fences, and thank you to Vincent. Um, we have some sponsorship from the National Irish Honeybee um, Association, and um, we're very grateful for that. Thank you very much. Thank you to the organizers here. Thank you to the Bar Council, which has also uh, given us some sponsorship. Uh, to those who draft the bill, uh, Member Byrne BL, Donica Wolf BL, Sarah Jane O'Brien BL, Liam Gilder BL. Um, and just to close, just to say we are, this will be available um, on our website, climatebar.ie. So, Garamil Mahakwe, I was Bintan of Asan Iha Alling, and Wayne Bong Ardini. Thank you very much.